If you thought it was impossible for one conversation to deep dive between the human rights of passage, medicine, plant medicine, healing, personal evolution and making meaning from trauma, quantum medicine, what's wrong with conventional medicine, and perimenopause, pros, cons, and to be continued, then you have not met me, Alex Stewart, your host of the Low Tox Life podcast, or my wonderful guest returning for the third time on the show, Dr. Maya Sheetreat. It is a cracker today. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host and founder of the Lotox Movement. It is an absolute joy to bring you this show every week with thanks to our sponsors, our Lotox Club members, which by the way, you can join anytime by heading to lotoxlife.com, hitting the explore tab. It's the very first option in the drop down. We get to do this show and I get to bring you these incredible people, ideas, pioneering spirit, wonderful science, wonderful woo-woo that goes beyond what we can explain scientifically, and so many brilliant ways to support your health, to support your well-being, and to support our beautiful planet home. This week is really special. For the first time ever, I think, it really is the first time ever now that I think about it. I started by usual, my auto record, just in case I forget to press record when we actually start the show. But what happened as Maya and I started talking is we didn't stop talking for nearly 90 minutes. There is no start. We just kind of leap right in as soon as our Zooms connected up and we explored. I threw out my <laughs> my neatly and carefully planned questions. And while I threaded the themes that I wanted to include in this conversation throughout it, it was one of the most organic, profound, satisfying, and soul comforting conversations I think I've ever had. And chatting with Maya in our DMs afterwards on Insta, she was very much of the same opinion. I know you're going to love this show. Dr. Maya Sheetreat is a legend. She is one of the most unapologetic people I know online, extremely authentic and wonderfully knowledgeable with her background as uh, having studied conventional neurology and being a pediatric neurologist, but moving beyond conventional medicine as perhaps the answer or the way forward for all patients and incorporating through her own personal evolution, exploration of plant medicine, mysticism, astrology, and so much more incorporating everything that she knows 
into a far more what I would say quantum-based approach to healing. We unpack so many topics, as you heard me say in the little snippet intro in today's show, and I do beg you to connect with her work. You have all of her details uh, in the show notes, uh, and Dr. Maya Sheetreet is easy to find on Instagram, where she shares so generously and candidly in her stories almost every day. So that conversation starts in a little minute, but as I said, we cannot do this show without our wonderful show supporters, and these sponsors are carefully picked people and brands that I absolutely love and stand behind to help support you with your low-tox goals, help support your swaps if you're at the start or in the initiation of your journey, working on various types of priorities as the year moves on, and also helping you just stock up on some favourites sometimes when much beloved Lotox brands join us year in, year out because they love this community and love supporting us so much. So this week we have the wonderful Natural Bedding Company. For the last week, this particular offer is available. You have a carefully and massively curated range of products at 15% off with the code LOTOXLIFE. Nice and simple. You can head to the show notes to click straight through to that curated selection. It's about four pages of different products from their range, including their wool products that they've never discounted before. They're an awesome local Australian LOTOX business, absolutely passionate, in up-leveling year on year with the quality of their workmanship, the sourcing of their materials and the offering to the public in terms of range growth and options. I mean, they have so many different mattresses depending on budget, depending on sleep style, um, beautiful organic latex mattresses. And I love that they are celebrating their 40th year in business this year. Thank you to the Natural Bedding Company for supporting us all throughout the month of January and a little bit into Feb as well. Code Lotox Life, 15% off. The carefully curated selection they've put together for us is in the Instagram link in bio and also in the show notes at lotoxlife.com forward slash podcast and click on today's show. And of course, Oz Climate, our major sponsor, giving you 10% off their already discounted, often discounted Winix air purifiers and dehumidifiers that I swear by and will die on the hill that tells you you need a preventative approach to water damage, leaks and humidity by having a dehumidifier at hand and getting to know how to use a hygrometer to be aware of what your indoor humidity is doing day to day. I've talked about this extensively on a show I did as a solo show late last year, all about dehumidification and did a really big Instagram live a couple of months ago as well. I'll put the details to both of those in the show notes. It's very humid right now in Sydney or anywhere on the East Coast of Australia. And if you live in a humid climate or if you just want to be prepared for when life happens and an air conditioner leaks, as it did to us a couple of weeks ago, you don't want to wait until after the fact uh, because it may be too late before mold starts to grow. It is such a fantastic appliance to have on hand. 10% off code LOTOXLIFE. Head to ozclimate.com.au. And if you're not sure what size you need, they're great over the phone at helping walk through your floor plan and living situation and climate to give you the best advice possible. Now, enjoy this bumper of a conversation. 
hi, I am so sorry. I ended up being late. I literally just got my period. And <laughs> you know, today, you know, I got to tell you, I have like, it's all good. <laughs> but I thought of all the people who I'm interviewing these days, who's going to go, oh, all good. And oh, good. <laughs> our age, it doesn't just like go, oh, is it to that? Is that? It's like, hello. And it's, <laughs> oh my God, Jesus. Oh my God. So many good stories. Anyway, oh, so many good stories. I think it is so refreshing that our generation has decided to live and let laugh and, uh, and like, like, Go head first through the crazy. Definitely. Mm. I just can't believe, I can't believe that every generation for many generations, mm -hmm. they haven't been having any education or conversation about this in a public way whatsoever. So like, mm -mm. how do they do this, honestly? I genuinely don't know. And I think like, I, I had a massive pimple, obviously, obviously, three days ago. <laughs> um, and got to my mum's house. And, of course, she's French. There's there's no getting away with having anything wrong with you at all physically, <laughs> like, visually. Obviously. She's like, what is that? <laughs> like, I'm in my late 40s, mum. Things are going crazy. She's like, oh, I remember. I get a hysterectomy. It's the best thing that will happen to you. And that's what her generation thought. It was like the end of all the problems. And and I just think, wow, okay, like, does it have to be a problem? That's why I kind of as I was crafting our, um, our little kind of point of departure for the tangents we'll probably take, I was like, can't we go flip sides? Can't we look at opportunity? Like I know it's hard because it is all going crazy, but at the same time, I think it's very interesting times. It is. I think um, it kind of harkens back to that idea of like the twilight childbirth thing where, you know, people were knocked out in order to give birth. That was mm -hmm. like my, my mother's generation. Well, my grandmother's generation, I guess, was like, they were just like, Put to sleep they didn't know what would happen and then you know they just woke up sometime later and like oh they had a baby it's kind of like um it's sort of taking away this liminal period that uh, that's that's chaotic in certain ways but that like is sort of this hero or shiro's journey also that allows you to come through and be triumphant and it's like if we take that away from ourselves then we lose a whole segment of our development and of our humanity i think it's a robbing of rites of passage isn't it yeah and and what that means is that people find ways to go through that differently than they otherwise would. And sometimes in really destructive and terrible ways, you know, mm. where it's like we need inherent to our human experience, we need rites of passage, but we've, when we don't have them or have opportunities for them, you know, like 
what a lot of teenagers do, right? Going to like these raves or these parties. It's sort of like these ways that like they try to find these coming of age rites of passage and everything that we've been told as women I would say birth is one of them, actually, but certainly, you know, perimenopause and menopause, which I think is very funny. I mean, we should unpack those two words because yeah, yeah, it's like very interesting and kind of weirdly meaningless and also very existential. But, you know, this idea is like you actually are entering into like your the lowest value period of your life. And it's like, actually, as we're all, you know, I think as Gen X is going through this, we're like, are you literally fucking serious right I'm now? I'm going to stop you right there, mister. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, wow. Oh, my gosh. So much to talk about. So much. And I have appreciated your um, your frankness in your stories, just, you know, exploring. Like, I can see you mid-thought while you share. Instead, Like, it doesn't have to be perfect and complete and, and decided and realized and distilled and then for the internet, you know, and I think we all need to do a whole lot more of that, right? Because it's very unhealthy out there at the moment, especially ironically in health. Yeah, I actually, um, I used to be, as you know, very active on Instagram in terms of posts and um, around the pandemic, I just, I couldn't, I could no longer be with Instagram. <laughs> so Instagram and I had a trial separation period. And then um, <clears throat> I because part of the reason even still is that there is this idea of telling people what to do. And I, in my professional life and in my public life, am no longer interested and I know it sounds strange because I'm a doctor, but it's how I feel. I'm no longer interested in trying to fix people or trying to tell people what to do. What I'm interested in doing is telling people what I've done and what has helped me and what has helped people that I've worked with and let people find the truth in that offering rather than and the truth within themselves, right? I mean, because it's so individual. I recently saw um, some people who talk about, I guess, menopause and perimenopause, um, who were kind of like, can I say shitting on? <laughs> kind of, you can. Kind of shitting on like other people who talk about it, pro professionals who haven't yet gone through it or who are going through it now. Do you really want to learn from people who are just going through it now kind of thing? And I'm like, anyone who thinks that they have the answers for everybody, like to me, that's just absolutely not where society is going, not where humanity is going, not where womanhood should be going. Like, that's the exact opposite. Yes, of course, I want to hear exactly what people are discovering as they're going through it. And, and I'm always very discerning about, you know, where it's coming from, what people are saying, like, if you come and you say, this is what you have to do, I'm just going through it now, right, then like, I'm going to take that with a big, giant grain of salt. But I love hearing what different people are experiencing and what helps and what doesn't help and how crappy they feel and just the whole journey because also like 
it's so lonely when you feel terrible for whatever reason you feel terrible. And there are times in perimenopause where many of us feel terrible. And you know what? It makes me feel better when I know my friends and other people are kind of like having really bad days sometimes like me. That's like, and that's why I want to share that. I'm like, look, am I like the top hormone expert? No. I mean, I know a lot more than a lot of people, but I know a lot less than other people, but I'm going to talk about it in the way that I can talk about it with my own background, my own expertise, and also my own, you know, totally babyhood in the process. And hopefully that's going to help people. And from what I'm getting in my stories and the responses, I think it is helping people. Yeah. And that's all that matters, Maya. Uh, I think if it genuinely feels helpful uh, and if it comes from a place of, look, there are a lot of things you could try. This is what's worked for me then that for me feels like we are coming more close, like going in the right direction of health, going in the Indigenous model of health, generation after generation passing down what we know, what we've learned, how we've seen this play out for people and what's helped them move forward. Uh, That is storytelling health, which is what traditional health before we came and um, compartmentalised it Uh, and tried to define everything, tried to put everybody in boxes, tried to put every organ in its own separate little box. Uh, You know, that's how it was done. And, yeah, you could then argue, but people died at 35. It's like, well, okay, there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. That's not true. I want to actually take that on for a second because... Yeah, good. When I graduated from, you know, I did medical school and all the training and the fellowship, but then I did the program for integrative medicine right out of my training um, in Arizona. And at our graduation, the former Surgeon General spoke about um, health, you know, and he basically shared that Indigenous people, the Native people in, you know, in what's now the United States, used to live much longer than the white people lived. And eventually it swapped once they were like in reservations and things had actually, they lost a lot of their like uh, ways of life that were traditional. It actually swapped where Native American people actually lived much shorter and um, and kind of the white man, right, will say just for the the sake of I think how he referred to it, started to live much longer. But it turns out, and I've talked to lots of indigenous people and lots of indigenous communities and learned with them, that it's actually very normal in indigenous communities even now to live like well into your hundreds. I I was having a conversation with some um, Maasai people and they were like, yeah, all the time, like we have elders who, who, surpass 100 like it's a not even a very shocking thing and of course there are other reasons people might die very young or in childhood and so on i mean so life expectancy is a whole conversation but it's not that indigenous people did not live long right no, they were elders, and i think that that's a real kind of it's a it's a um, intentional misrepresentation of what has happened and what's happening. And I might add that the United States has like 
terrible infant mortality, <laughs> mm. like really terrible infant mortality, believe it or not. So like, you know, we have this desire, I think, to think that everything modern is it's better. superior mm. and everything ancient is like quaint and primitive. And what we're learning. Well, that's a very colonial dynamic, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And that's very uh, ingrained into mm. all of us. It's programmed into all of us. And so um, but like one of the things in my most recent book that I discuss is how probably about 70 to 80 percent of pharmaceuticals that we use in the modern world came were derived from information taken from indigenous people by bioprospectors that were sent there, you know, an anthropologist that went and actually were able to extract knowledge or was were given that, you know, uh, intellectual property, we could call it, right? And go and then, you know, synthetically derive these pharmaceuticals that have become the foundations of Western modern medicine to this day. And much of that is actually from indigenous knowledge, which is maybe not written in volumes the way we're used to, but what I call it is extra literate. And as you say, it's oral tradition, which is it's oral tradition, which is considered far safer and far more valuable than things that are written in books, which then you can easily forget and then lose because let's say, you know, it burns down, you can't access it, whatever. When it's oral tradition given to initiated people, it actually is safer. It is. And you could also probably say, I'd love to hear what you think of this, but to extend from what you've just said, oral tradition allows for scientific knowledge to be refined to stay malleable and to continue to gather information as generations and different people see, observe, learn, whereas textbooks from 1980 that a lot of doctors are still learning from might have huge sections that have advanced far beyond what those words say in the way they say it and yet we're still learning it an old way, whereas oral tradition literally moved with the times because it was about the living telling stories to the younger living. Well, what I want to say about that is there is a vested interest, not to sound cynical, in controlling what people know and what people think. And say the many reasons why that is, um, but Oral tradition has no gatekeepers other than in indigenous traditions to be initiated, right? So um, like myth, I found in, again, in my research writing the master plant experience, myth, it turns out, which we think of as stories or even pretend, right? I mean, like falsehoods, you know, say that's a myth, right? But myth, it turns out, is actually a, a repository of all knowledge that includes not just science right because it isn't put into different categories it's science it's ethics it's the legal system it's geography it's botany it's um it's all the traditions it's how you survive and thrive in society all kind of in this 
uh, repository called Myth that begins its process of being um, spoken to children. That's usually what the kind of myth we all hear, right? It sounds like a story because that's the first uninitiated version that introduces it. And then over time, it gets richer and richer and is built upon more and more and more. And that is how, for example, Aboriginal Australians are able to have these song lines, which first of all, they are passing things. And this has been studied over tens of thousands of years. I mean, like, yeah, right. Right. And nobody's coloring it. Nobody's changing it. Again, I don't want to like idealize or glorify one thing and say the other is terrible. Like, I think there are there's value and there's also challenges, I'm sure, in all societies. Right. But the idea of people transmitting over time in this way and they do it through song and dance and actually like um, objects where they map their memories. And it's so fascinating, really. They map their memories over like, you know, let's say I have this rattle. They'll map entire bodies of knowledge. Like, oh, here's the owl, the owl's ear, the eye. They'll attach all these different things. So with their song, with their dance, with their ritual objects, um, they, are able to hold so much knowledge through ritual and myth. Um, And that's the way you have living knowledge and wisdom. As you said, it's not like some receptacle with gatekeepers and edited in these ways that don't allow us to know this or that. It's like- And don't don't allow us space to change our minds. That's really harmful, I think. That's one of the most harmful things because it's what you see playing out online now. You see people having to set up a camp, decide who they're going to be friends with, and then the algorithm then keeps telling you exactly what you and all your friends believe. Either way, whatever you have decided, you are then literally dug into the ground on your ideas and beliefs thanks to tech. Uh, and we all become less and less fluid in our thinking, less and less exploratory. And the, the main things we explore is just to keep confirming what we think we know. And that I think is quite harmful and has caused these great divides in, you know, in, in spaces that were built originally, unfortunately for us to come together uh, so I think culture and cultural um, change, especially now that we add technology, is fascinating because it then happens so fast that we can have these feelings like, oh, my God, I'm so behind. I don't know enough yet. And I don't I haven't kept up with that person and I haven't listened to this thing. And, ah, oh my gosh, wouldn't it just be nicer to sit with all the women in our circle and sing a song? Can we? Can I go join those guys? Uh, that just sounds way more healing and therapeutic, um, especially for big transitions in our lives, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, and the whole system is built. I don't think it was originally built to silo us in that no. way. Yeah, that's why I said that. I said, you know, the the ideal is make it easier for people to connect, and let's see if we can make some money out of this thing. Like. 
just college kids having a go really is what all this is. Right. But then they saw, wow, this is, and I don't know if it was even the founders, right. But other people saw this is a great way to, um, you know, influence people. Let's say influence is probably the best word. Um, that's what algorithms are, you know, like the more we try to serve the algorithm, the more interesting I think it is speaking of kind of this colonizer mentality or this like capitalist mentality or any of the things that are kind of like, you know, words that are bandied about now. I mean, the more we try to like serve this algorithm, the more we're really saying we're serving the people in power who want to control how we think and what we do and who we connect with. So it's it's interesting right like this is why i think we're in this time like astrologically speaking of decentralization i think that is going to be the next few hundred years um at least is going to be about right we're coming out of this pluto and capricorn generation where it's consolidating and kind of like you know who's at the very top and you know who's underneath and this is going to be much more a time of the collective and decentralization. And I'm not saying, right, everything has its good things and its bad things, its challenges and its um, gifts. But I think that is the direction that we're going in. And that's part of why cryptocurrency and things like that are so popular and coming to the forefront is because of this concept of how can we become more decentralized? Mm, Agree. And you know, if we talk about health and things that a lot of people listening will go, oh, that's an example of decentralization as well in terms of objectives. Look at how centralized food production has become. Look at how few companies own how much of what lines the supermarket shelves. Look, look at how much money they have for ads. Your little lentil farmer or grass-fed lamb farmer down the road does not have money for a bus shelter campaign, uh, and yet they're the ones that actually provide human health and nutrition, not the centralised food companies, not the centralised pharmaceutical companies. Are there aspects of both of those centralizations that have supported people in SOS measures, so I'm talking a mental health crisis or I'm talking war times when soldiers needed food that lasted a year so that they could eat. Um, there are a lot of situations where SOS has led to centralization, I think, and then it's turned us into an SOS culture where we only ever take action if there's a crisis uh, that's big enough to be deemed for everybody to stop and pay attention. And that in itself is robbing us from the joys of daily life as well, I think. Um, it's it's a wild time to be alive. And you mentioned astrology, Maya. So I'd actually like to unpack that on a personal level for you. Like I want to know how did you go from um, like lab coat hospital neurology to I think I need an astrology mentor. Like what is that path mentally for a health professional, because that's fascinating. Well, so I think, you know, I'm always very interested in what we've always done in order to navigate being human. Like, I don't know about everybody else, but I find navigating being human quite challenging at times. And 
you know, to put it, <laughs> to put it simply. And, um, and I think it's always been challenging, right? I don't think like we're in a place where it's so much better on some ways. Yes. In some ways, no, you know, a thousand years ago, was it better? Was it worse? In some ways, probably was better in some ways not. So ancient mystics would say, we're not getting better and better and better and better and better. We're in golden ages and dark ages and golden ages and dark ages. And, and that life is kind of a cycle. And um, I came to this sort of inquiry with ancient mystics and what did they know? Because I thought, you know what? We can't be the first people coming up against a lot of these difficult and sometimes seemingly hopeless sorts of issues. There's, there's been challenges since time immemorial. And I don't believe that we have all the best answers in this time. So I thought, well, let me look back at other times as well. Um, so generally speaking, that's my philosophy and why I started looking at food and farming and why I started looking at herbs and why I started looking at, you know, all of the different um, work that I do, even including psychedelics um, education is because of that. But how I got involved in astrology in particular is a little it's similar, but it's a little more personal, of course, because I definitely was not a I wasn't into astrology. I didn't believe in astrology, even though now I think it's funny to say believe or not believe because astrology mm. discovered is a it exists. A language. Well, it's a language. I yeah. mean, it's just a language. It's a language. Science is a language that describes mystery. Astrology, especially ancient astrology, which I practice, is a language. It's a language that describes mystery. A lot of different kinds of languages have been used to describe mystery and make us feel better about the fact that we live in the unknown quite a bit of the time, right? And right now science is our only language we're allowed to talk about to describe mystery, but there are many others. Um, but I actually was in a time of my life now, you know, I guess about eight or nine years ago where I felt like my life was imploding on many levels and, um, and I was sort of the one behind it. Like it was very puzzling to me because I'm very pretty stable person and I worked to build this life and I had this marriage for 20 years and these three children and you know my house and my book that had just come out and a practice and was seeing people from all over the world and like, what more could you want? And then suddenly I was like, I'm gonna jump out of my skin if I try to do this life anymore. And it was a terrible feeling because obviously a lot of people depended on me and I was, you know, also like, what, what would I be giving this up for? But I, I literally couldn't, I couldn't continue in that life. And I was so agitated that for six months, I just didn't talk about it with anybody. I actually started like drinking more. Like I would have like a gin and tonic every night, which is like, I was ne I'm never have been a drinker. I'm not a drinker. I don't really like alcohol that much. And suddenly I was like having my night drink. <laughs> Everyone was like, what? <laughs> what is going on with Maya? And I was like, this is how I'm like surviving this. Um, and then a friend of mine was like, you know, um, she's like, I just had this reading with this astrologer. Apparently he's really well known. Like, do you want to talk to him? I'll give you his info. So I was like, what? Like, you really think so? You know, all right, fine. 
And it's actually a very mystical story. Like I was supposed to have the reading in five months, but then they had a cancellation that week and I was in a hotel room at this conference. And anyway, long story short, it turns out this guy is one of the most famous Western astrologers in the world. He's a scholar. He speaks many languages, has read all of the Greek and Arabic and Aramaic and you know all of this in the original. Anyway, he does this reading and he basically exactly explained what was going on and why and advised me in a way that was really helpful because I think if I had continued on the path I'd been on, I would have gotten really sick and maybe died. Like, I think that it was like, I believe that in life there are these potential checkout points. And um, we kind of oftentimes have a choice whether we're gonna stay or go, you know? And my father, as it turned out at that age, he died. I was exactly that age and uh and i i mean i didn't want to die and but it was a very scary time to end up leaving my professional life as it had been leaving my marriage and building an entirely different life for myself that has been much more in conversation with the unknown right at that time i was like oh i do this then i do this then i do this and then i do this and now i know i'm successful i've done everything check 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 the societal checklist yeah right and Mm. i'm like but wait why am i why am i like why can't i sit at the dinner table without feeling like i'm gonna like lose my mind all of a sudden um and uh anyway that reading was so profound and i think maybe life-saving just by by simply getting the context of what could be going on and how it's something that everyone goes through differently, but that the energy of it, the energies of it and the signature of it was really about liberation because it was my Uranus opposition, I was 42. So I decided I wanted to look into ancient astrology more. And then it took me a year of doing my own research. Then I found a teacher, I took his course, which was two or three years by the end. And then I, I'm learning all the time. I'm like such a nerd about it because it's so complex. Like, you know, again, going back to that idea that, oh, we know so much now and everything from before is so stupid and primitive. Like doctors used to have to know astrology to be considered good doctors, like in Persian society, in um, Greek society, in Roman society, right? Like there's writings from from hundreds and hundreds, from thousands of years ago that are that are all about how government, you know, would be related to astrology, how the advisors in medicine, you know, understood astrology. Um, And it turns out it's very technical and complex and fascinating. And it keeps my mind very challenged and sharp. And, and I think it really helps people um, the same way I was helped. So that's why I love studying it. And I love offering, offering that to people. Mm. And do you feel like um, there can be, because you went through med school, right? So I want to ask you this question in the context of then learning something mystical like astrology, a language to explain the unexplainable sometimes. Is it hard to go in and learn in a way that is open and curious instead of got to get the facts to get the exam marks to move forward, you know, because I'm, I'd imagine it would be really easy to start learning astrology and go, 
okay, so I need to look at someone and listen to them and hear the problem and go, ah, it's because Uranus is in the thing and the fun. And like to be able to explain it down to the nth degree so that everyone feels calm. Because I feel like Western medicine has given us this gotcha moment that you need to then be able to calm down and go, okay, now I know what I need to do. Like, is it, do you understand what I'm trying to say? Like, I'm trying to sort of like, do we, you're, one of your big things is unlearning the way we are sometimes so that we can actually learn more deep, deeply in a way. And I, I wonder moving from a um, scientific Western discipline style of learning to astrology, mystical style of learning and learning about teacher plants on your journey as well, which you've written about in the second book. Um, how has your way of learning changed? That is the question I wanted to ask. Well, I have always, I think, been a little too curious for the tastes of people in Western medicine. Even when I was in my training, I was someone who, and this was not on purpose, asked questions that seemed to be a little triggering to my team, to my attending to, right? Like if I'd say, well, I remember in particular, you know, we were rounding on the general peds floor. I was a resident and I said, do you notice that everybody here is really here because they're having an immunological issue. Even the people with the seizures, even the people with the infections, even the people with the heme onc issues, like they're all immunologic. What if immunological issues are underlying all of the physical issues that we see? And oh my gosh, if I could tell you how everybody was just horrified by my question. And it was just a question. I mean, again, I wasn't, there are those people who come with these pointed, you know, kind of trolling. Yeah, I, like they're trying to gotcha. Yeah. Truly curious. And it was so, I mean, and now we know, of course, that a lot of what's happening is immunologic, is related to the microbiome, talking to the immune system, and that actually modulates everything that's going on in the brain and everything that's going on in the gut and everything that's going on in many systems of our body. So I feel like I had a very legitimate question at that time. Um, but that said, you know, I, I think one of the things that's the most harmful, and I think it happens as you were saying earlier in social media, I think it happens in medicine, I think it happens in a lot of categories, is this fear of the unknown, but really the fear of, of asking questions of being curious. It's, it's like, people will attack you, people will um, be very uncomfortable. So I've, I've always been someone who wanted to know more and more and more. Um, I like going deep, you know, Scorpio, right? Yeah. Oh, I do. <laughs> you, know, <Yep>. you really, <laughs> um, you know, like, I always say my Gemini friends will come with like a thousand different things they're super excited about. And I pick like six and then I go all the way down to the center of the earth. I master it as much as I can. And then like, I come back and I'm like, this is like my body of information or this is my body of guidance where, you know, everyone else like 
two years ago, moved on to like another thing. And now I've integrated it. So um, I think though, to your point that the difference really fundamentally, and this was a shift for me and a challenging one is in medicine, it's about fixing and it's about answers. And in any kind of mystical language or system, it's actually about, it's about guiding and about sort of contextualizing and making meaning. I don't know if that, it's not like it's a dichotomy, but it's, it's like, we can't, we're not about, we can't fix the human condition and we're not supposed to, but we are supposed to meet it in a way that, right? For me, the difference between something being a traumatic experience that we embed within us and becoming wisdom is, is having context and making meaning of it. And then we're able to move through it alchemize it, digest it, and, and evolve, right? And that's what I think this linear way of knowing and this idea that we have to be certain and come up with answers and fix things and be accountable in this way. I'm not saying it's all wrong, but I do want to say I don't think it's serving patients. And I actually think it's crushing the healthcare professionals to to bits. I mean, the mental health of doctors, just I can say based on the people I worked with, the people I talked to, it's terrible. It is rock bottom terrible across the board. They're struggling. They're unhappy. They're falling apart. And I'm not saying, oh, boo-hoo-hoo doctors. I'm just saying the system is, is unrealistic and it's not incorporating this other mystical part of the equation that we all need. Every single person needs this. I want to just say that I realized very recently I was speaking at um, Jeff Bland's Thought Leaders Consortium and I went in and talked about being an astrologer at the beginning. It was a very big, brave move for me. What a pain. Right? It was intense with like, uh, you know, whatever <laughs> thousand people. Um, and <laughs> And, but I wanted to make a point about, mm. about programming and what we think is real and what we think isn't. And then um, in the writing of that talk, I, I went through paper after paper after paper that I'd already read for my book, but I went through paper after paper after paper looking at the benefits of psychedelics. And what I discovered in almost every paper as I took and posted the picture, you know, the, the screenshot of, you know, the, the front page was they all said when people had a mystical experience. So these psychedelic studies that have been done one after the other benefit, benefit, benefit after one dose, after two doses, right? Like getting rid of addiction, lifelong addiction, lifelong depression, lifelong PTSD, right? It's like, it sounds like miraculous. And what I noticed is it said in almost every paper that I was including, if they experienced the mystical, they improved. And I mm. made the centerpiece of my talk that we need 
the mystical, it is as fundamental nutrition to us as whole food, clean water, fresh air, nature. The mystical needs to become an essential nutrient for us. And that is clear from every paper about psychedelics. What if it isn't even really about the psychedelics? What if it's about having a mystical experience? Thank you for saying that because I agree. Uh, I had a spirited debate with the lovely David Bronner, CEO of Dr. Bronner's, um, who's a huge proponent and activist for uh, psychedelics coming into um, legalization and being able to be used by people both in practice and personally, uh, which, you know, you could argue um, probably, uh, you know, a lot of people could argue in a lot of ways, but what, when he was, I really got him to describe it because not because I was going, Oh, should I, shouldn't I, but I was genuinely curious. And as he described it, it described the experiences I've had doing, you know, Dr. Joe, uh, dispensers meditations, very mystical, um, experiences. When you tap into pineal energy early in the morning and have a meditative experience, um, quite a few times I've been in those experiences going, whoa, <laughs> one of the ones I had, I was, it was before the pandemic. It was actually 2019. So the syringe metaphor might land a little differently now. Um, but back then I have this experience where I'm climbing this giant ladder and I have no idea where it's going. I get to the top and I'm on top of planet earth. Like I'm climbing on top of a house kind of thing um, to check out the roof. And then I have this huge syringe of like glowy stuff who knows what it was, but it was like an energetic thing. And then I syringe it into the earth and the earth is like covered in this warm glow. And then I'm like, oh, I've done my job. And then I go back down and I just like, I, I want people to know that trend can very quickly have people think, oh, I have to do it that way. And I have to book in for my ayahuasca retreat. And everything that you talk about and everything that the mystics talk about is context, is looking at individuality, is looking at, okay, well, how can I help you connect more to the mystical? And what will that look like for you in a way that sits well with you right now, that you're happy and excited to explore rather than thinking you need to follow an, a wellness guru online? You know, that's not, that just, it feels like we miss that piece if we go purely on trend of how it needs to look. Yeah. I mean, I think really, if I think about why we're here in this human form, I mean, for me, it's really, you know, the things that come up for me are we're all part of the same being. And we're all these incredibly magnificently unique expressions of the same being. And our job primarily is to live in to that uniqueness 
while still acknowledging we are part of the same being, which means learning to listen to our inner voice, which to me is the most valuable, most valuable information you can possibly get. And no, it doesn't mean you have to know everything yourself, but it's about getting directed to the right places and the right people and the right things. It's all there. Everything is accessible, but there's so much chatter and noise and chaos around us that we've been taught to pay more attention to than that inner knowing. So I think that's one thing. And I think the other part that is incredibly important is to honor, to honor where we are. And, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, a story that I told in my book is that um, the tobacco plant, which tobacco, many people don't realize this about tobacco, but the tobacco plant is universally considered by every culture around the world, indigenous culture, even where it is not indigenous, but it's been brought, it is considered to be the most sacred plant, the tobacco plant. So starting there, um, <clears throat> because you know a lot of people don't realize that we are in a very skewed perspective about tobacco, but the tobacco plant in this lore created humans to honor the tobacco plant. So I think from everything I've studied and, you know, I'm obviously open to changing on this, but I think a big role for us as humans <clears throat> from that, but not just from that, is really to offer gratitude and appreciation. And if you look at heart math, if you look at what is the healthiest and the most balanced for our heart rate variability and how that influences, you know, mental health, physical health, and so on, being in a state of gratitude is called coherence. We have all the, the greatest benefits physiologically, neurologically, mentally from being in coherence in a state of gratitude and appreciation. So it stands to reason from a physiologic standpoint that one of our fundamental activities, let's say, in life should be gratitude and appreciation, which is honoring, right? So that's to me more important than influencers, more important than health gurus, more important than, right? And, and I wanna tell you also that that's guided me through really interesting, not always in the easiest ways, but through a lot of information where I had a lot of resistance. I, I always tell people, I got involved in the world of master plants and psychedelics. I was dragged in kicking and screaming, I say, by my guides, by spirit, by whatever you wanna call it. But I definitely was not like, even writing my book, I was working on a memoir and the person who was working with me, kind of helping me structure it said, I really think you should write a book about psychedelics. This was just last year. And I said, absolutely not. I will not do that. 
I said, I'm not interested in that. That's not my thing. I don't want people to be like, oh, she's the person who talks about psychedelics. And she said, that's exactly why you are the person to write this book. She said, I really think you should consider it. And I thought about it for a few weeks. And then I said, you know what? I teach this course. It's already recorded. Maybe I'll just make a little small handbook to go along with it. Sure, I will do that. Well, the book ended up being 85,000 words. It ended up taking me on this whole dark night of the soul journey. I'm now training practitioners to become psychedelic informed, which means they can become guides, but do not have to, because I think what I'm the most interested in is making sure that there's an infrastructure of responsible, educated, careful people who are not rah-rah activists, actually. They exist. That's fine. We need those people to be out there, the Rick Doblins and the Bronners and all the others. But that's not my role. My role is I have a responsibility to the plants and to the people in a different way. And I want first responders and lawyers and doctors and um, psychologists and social workers and chiropractors and nutritionists, all those people and and others to be deeply, deeply educated about ritual, about ceremony, about indigenous knowledge, about the science of master plants, which is so fascinating and growing. And, and yes, all the benefits, but I would like to guide us in a direction that doesn't take us to where, for example, our relationship with tobacco went or our relationship with the opium poppy, which is a very powerful plant, very healing plant, helps us in pain, and yet we're all drowning in this opioid epidemic, or the coca plant, which is used in indigenous communities for altitude sickness, for energy, for a lot of other things, is also an incredible complex and, and beneficial plant. But when you turn it into cocaine, which we did, we, in Western medicine did that and prescribed it very widely. And of course it destroyed a lot of people. So can we come to this psychedelic revolution or whatever this is right now? Can we come in a different way and in a better way? That's really, I think the big question. Mm, and I love that you have inadvertently uh kicking and screaming, taken on the role of protecting almost the part of psychedelics that ensures the connection to the mystical, even if it gets taken into a clinical Western context, because we miss a lot of the, the benefits, the healing benefits of teacher plants and psychedelics if we don't bring the sense of rite of passage, the sense of mystical experience, breaking our hearts open to receive gratitude. Like that is for me, what the most important part of these plants is. Well, and what I find even more interesting and where I've been uh, kind of moving in my work is, you know, I think a lot of people who are proponents, you know, and activists, of of psychedelic medicine and i'm not knocking it mm. um, but they think we need this big experience right it mm. needs to bring you open in that way okay. and what i discovered um is that first of all microdosing 
can be incredibly powerful and can help people towards mystical experience as well. And I do microdosing coaching and I have seen the most extraordinary transformations and connections to the mystical over the course of time. And I have people, you know, build an altar and I guide them through how to do that if they don't know. And then they sit with their altar each day and the time they spend when they microdose, right? So it's like, it's an evolution instead of like a- Instead of a big aha, yeah. which, Which I think is, you know, there's a very, masculine Mm. and not just masculine but there's a very um it's kind of like this aggressive like western kind of like save the day kind of thing like heroic kind of quality to it that i don't think is for everyone um at all Mm. and uh, i know that's not popular right now but i don't care i don't think it is for everyone there are people like in my work who are very, very sensitive. And it could be because they have had very profound trauma and very dysregulated nervous system. They could also have much wider sensory gating, which I talk about a lot of neurodivergent people benefit from psychedelics, but maybe not always in big giant doses. And um, these are people who are very gifted and really need a different kind of care, not because they are pathological, but because they are gifted in my mind, you know, and this is a lot of my life's work as a neurologist, especially in in pediatrics. And um, so I think microdosing has been very profound for those people. And we're seeing that in studies, it's harder to study microdosing because uh, a big dose is something you can prepare someone for, they come into the clinic or whatever, right, if you're doing a study, you give them the dose, you monitor them for the five hours or seven hours, and then you, you know, have follow up. Whereas microdosing, no one's going to sit in like a clinic all day for a microdose, sub psychedelic dose that you can parent and go to work and get your groceries and do life. Nobody's like, Oh, I'm going to come for, you know, whatever number of hours and sit in the clinic. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. And they're not going to go home with that. Because right now, in many cases, it's not legal still. Yeah, um, yeah. And then the last thing is, you know, <clears throat> I I ended up working with the concept of quantum dosing. And there is this precedent in indigenous culture where, uh, like, if anyone's been in an ayahuasca ceremony, they have heard these songs during the ceremony sung by the ayahuasquero, you know, the, the leader of the ceremony. Um, and these songs are called Icaros. And the Icaros are... They, they're not songs that the that the maestro that the ayahuasquero created themselves they are transmitted these songs from the ayahuasca plant when they do these diets these dietas with the plant as part of their training and and that transmission is considered to be as powerful as drinking the medicine the ayahuasca itself so if you've heard Icaros in ceremony, you know, you can hear a certain one of them and it can make you feel like you're going to vomit and you can start purging. You can hear another one and it can make you feel like you want to just cry and sob and sob. You can hear another one and in your body, you start to feel like this sense of total calm and like you're returning back to yourself. So um, there are some ayahuasqueros, in fact, who, who don't give the, the brew 
for others. They drink the brew when they're doing a healing and then they sing the Icaros and the people experience the medicine of the ayahuasca plant. So all of that to say, I grow a lot of these plants, not for my own consumption, but for my uh, service, for service. And the way that I honor the plants is to tend them. And um, one day I was tending them. And this is what I call quantum dosing, right? You're in relationship with the plant in this re- in, in a literal intimate relationship, but without consuming um, the way we think of consuming. And I heard this voice, basically this message, let's say in words. And it was, why do people think they need to ingest us in order to experience our medicine? Show them another way. So this was many years ago and I was a little flabbergasted and also um, like not very pleased about it as, as usual, Mm -hmm. (laughs) big resistance. Why do I have to go and look into this? I was like, what, you know, what, what could that even mean? Mm -hmm. I'm thinking like, I'm going to go and start like creating some kind of what, like a flower essence or like a homeopathy. Like, so I sat with it for a long time and kind of like noodled it on and off and eventually created something um, that was not like flower essences, but sort of like flower essences where we did ceremony with the plant, but not when I say we, me and the plant, you know, these plants that I have these very deep relationships with that I grow and um, we do this ceremony and create this um, tonic essentially, that is what we call ceremony in a bottle. And they're quantum doses of psychedelics of these master plants, the ayahuasca, the San Pedro and the mushrooms. And um, I had no idea if they were going to help people or if they were going to impact people at all, because I mean, I was like, oh, like, will this do anything? And um, so I started offering it in with certain people I worked with, you know, with their consent. And some of the things that happened were absolutely stunning, Um, kind of beyond what I expected. But, you know, one example, a pretty recent story actually is, um, you know, there was this doctor at a conference I went to and he, he decided to buy them, the set of them. And he said, I don't know what these do. We had just talked about it, what they do, why they work. And he was like, I don't, I still don't know anything about this, but I'm just going to try it. I like you, you know, whatever. I was like, okay. Um, and then I see him the next day and he said, oh, I, um, I, tr- I took them last night and I took them this morning. He's like, I don't know if they did anything, but, um, but you know, I'm feeling really relaxed and I'm meeting nice people. So that's good. That's good enough. And I said, hey. <laughs> He said, oh, and by the way, I built an altar last night to my father who died many years ago, and I kneeled down and I prayed to him. Wow. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I was like, have you have you ever done that before? And he said, well, no, but but I'm Chinese and that's my culture and we worship our ancestors and, you know, I've never done it, but I wanted to and I was taking the drops. I thought, let me take a picture of my father and put it on this, on this table and I'm going to kneel down. And I said, 
I'm not knocking it. I was like, of course, I think that's amazing. I said, but you know, have you ever built an altar before? And he said, no, I don't have anything like that in my house. Um, my house has nothing Chinese in it at all. And he said, but, you know, I felt really connected to my lineage. So, you know, it's like we can access the mystical in so many different ways. And master plants are agents of that when we engage with them well, but it doesn't have to be about compounds and it doesn't have to be about one way. And I think that's where like quantum science and quantum medicine and, and that listening, right? That inner self is, that's where that becomes paramount. Mm. So fascinating. Uh, yeah, I, I'm waiting for a little New York mule to bring me some of your drops. <laughs> we ship to Australia, actually. We have many Oh, people. do you? I didn't even think uh, to yeah. look. Oh, that is good to know. Um, yeah, I've seen you talk about them and they just sound like, I mean, I wouldn't even say they sound fantastic because, right, it's it's a different, you don't even know what you're getting. Um but I'm curious, let's say. So, yeah, really good. Now, I wanted to talk about perimenopause and it's kind of where we launched when we didn't even set a record moment for the start of this show. We just kind of talked. And I I do want to talk about it before we finish because, you know, ceremony has come up, the mystical has come up, and I feel like Western perimenopause and menopause has again robbed us of the opportunity to expand into a new phase of life and instead just diagnosed it as a massive problem in our lives that we need to try and stay normal or go back to how we were. And I wonder whether it's actually an invitation for a, a reassessment and an emergence into an entirely new phase of life uh, that, that we should explore more from that context and less from, and I'm not knocking HRT for people who choose that or, you know, Chase Tree, Vitex, uh, like, you know, there are so love many, hel- hello, I freaking <laughs> love Vitex. It saves my life on the daily right now. Um, however, I, I also am aware that we can often try to stunt to the point of not recognizing the power of different phases of our lives. And so can you talk to me, given we are right in the thick of this ourselves, um, but also from any medical or mystical perspectives you might want to share how you are seeing this phase of life, um, how you are noticing some of the really unhelpful framings, even the very word, as you sort of alluded to at the very start? Well, (laughs) so a friend of mine pointed out, and I kind of love this, and this was before I realized I was even in what we apparently call perimenopause, because I thought, and I'm a doctor, right? I thought menopause is something that will happen where my periods become irregular and stop, and I have hot flashes. That was what I thought when I thought about menopause. And then when I was writing my book, actually, my most recent book, I was kind of losing my mind. I was like, 
my body feels like anxious all the time, but I don't feel anxious in my mind. So why is it that I have to spend my entire day trying to manage this somatic anxiety? I had totally stopped sleeping. Like I'd wake up if I just started to get okay with waking up at four in the morning for the whole entire day. I was like, okay, I'm not going to try to fight this, right? Like it was, it was, I was having all these weird aches and pains, which were preventing me from like working out because I thought I was injured. But in fact, it turned out looking back, well, one of my friends who's a hormone expert just kind of threw, she's like, girl, I don't understand why you're not just taking some progesterone in your second half of your cycle. And I was like, wait a minute, is she saying I'm impairing because my periods were regular and I never had a hot flash. And so I was like, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm there yet, you know? And um, of course we all kind of hope we'll go through it without a hitch. And every person I know who's hoped that is including a lot of experts who are actually hormone experts are like, what the actual, like, <laughs> um, <laughs> but to the point of perimenopause versus menopause, you know, a friend of mine pointed out, she said, you know, menopause is really like, this one infinite moment in time, which is just the moment you've gone 12 months with no period. That's official menopause. And it's this infinite moment because before that, you're premenopausal or perimenopausal. And after that, you're postmenopausal. So mm. there's like this one like moment <laughs> that's called menopause. And we all talk about it like it's this whole occurrence, but yeah. really like it's a whole process. And um, and I think, I think you're really right. I mean, I don't have answers yet about should people definitely take hormones or not, or why? I mean, I'm much more open to that than I thought I would be. Me and it's too. Not- it's interesting, right? I thought, oh God, I would never. <laughs> maybe you just go a few months and you think, well, should we maybe just be looking into that? Yeah. Right. Exactly. And mm. I think that's fine. Like mm. I'm actually kind of, I've learned to not get too attached to any one thing. I mean, I think what, what you're discussing though, that I think is really important is not blunting the transformation that comes with it. It doesn't mean that we have to feel suicidal, right? Like that's not the, the goal Um, But I do believe that, you know, we have these very ego dissolving experiences over the course of our lives. And, um, you know, I opened my my second book actually with this idea like about giving birth, like giving, you know, being born, not giving birth, but being born. Right. And so um, like what that must feel like, right? We're in this like dark, comfortable environment. And then suddenly we're being shoved through this like very intense experience that seems like horrible. And um, and then we're born into this world where things are like vivid and there's like love and, and relationships and, you know, delicious food and like sunshine and flowers. And right, there's like a lot of, of, of life to be lived. Um, in human form. And, you know, we think we, we go through being born once in our lives, but I think it happens many times and, um, and we pathologize it right after the first time, (laughs) anytime 
happens after that must mean something's very wrong with you if you're going through that kind of transformation. But to me, it's part of it's part of, you know, the Shiro's journey, right? That we need that, we need that, as we said, rite of passage. And um and the truth is, no matter how advanced our society is, no matter how technological, no matter how much information we have, no matter how much social media we have, I mean, you, you no matter how educated you are, right? Like I'm a doctor. I know a lot about a lot because I'm I'm also an herbalist and a lot of other things. And still I was very ignorant, you know, coming into this process. Um, so I think it's the balance, right, of finding what is supportive to us in the process and also honoring the new identity that we are stepping into and and what i'm loving is that gen x is you know because gen x gets kind of crapped on a lot like <laughs> all forgotten like yeah. generation and blah 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 <laughs> like we're very badass i feel we're very badass and um, and very like, you know, we've had our share of, you know, trauma and right, like where were our parents ever, for example. Um, so like, we're like the only generation that really had like no one keeping an eye on us for our entire childhoods, um, for better or for worse. But all of that to say, you know, we are a really badass generation and I'm, everybody's just like mad as hell because we're like, wait a minute, like, I don't know anything about this process. And I think we are reclaiming this transition as something and reframing, you know, the new identity in a different way, which is not like, well, how can I keep always looking the way I did when I was 30? But how can I embody this zero fucks given, badass, you know, new powerful identity and really have an impact. Mm -hmm. I, I agree. I think like lowering estrogen is, a, is an invitation in a way to like, you can't handle stress the way you used to. Is that not an invitation to examine unnecessary stresses in life and go, but <laughs> like, I mean, it's a cruel convergence in terms of um, a, a modern Western woman often finds herself in this teen kids, aging parents, peak of career and lowering estrogen. It's like, really, you're going to do that to us now? Um, but it's actually the modern construct of the world we've built that has had that convergence happen now. It wouldn't have been that way if we we're in uh in older times we would have well it's built had, around men I yeah mean, exactly it's, just, it's, it's built around built a patriarchal around. society mm. yeah. that's why it's hard and I think there's an interesting invitation then for us as gen x women to say it just doesn't have to be this way and this way ain't working for most people right I I really agree with you and I think you know it's sort of hormonally and i mean societally but hormonally we've been programmed by our hormones in many ways to kind of be very fertility focused up to a certain period which is kind of you know nowish i think for us 
And now we get to start to start, right? Because it is, it is chaotic, but I do want to say something about chaos. And this goes back to that idea of these initiatory experiences. You know, one of the things that I write about in my book, and it's in, in the context of psychedelics, but it's not just related to psychedelics, is this concept of criticality. Criticality is the edge between order and chaos. And it's kind of where we're at our most brilliant, right? We're able to be the most creative and the most enacting of that creativity. And, um, you know, I came to this understanding through like brain mapping that they did, looking at what psychedelics and music together do in the brain, which make the brain more like a like jazz, right? Like, so sort of the the structure of the music is very it's 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 based in a foundation that's very classical and and it is very structured but then there's all this fluidity and this kind of chaotic uh element to it that makes it something completely different and unexpected and fresh and, and you don't really know where it's going or like you wonder whether it's going to ever come back like by the end of a jazz solo you're like how is how are they going to bring this back and then boom they're in and you're like oh, that's amazing right and mm. and that's what our brains can do mm. when we go through these disorganized periods which i do think is part of what perimenopause is in our brains you know from a neurological standpoint it is chaotic it feels chaotic it feels physiologically chaotic it's it's a struggle and again on the one hand, we don't want to be like drowning. And on the other hand, we don't want to just shut it all off and try to be like the way we've always been, because it is this opportunity to achieve this criticality, this something different, this identity and this mission and this um, reprioritizing and reorganizing and recalibrating that is I think a really, really important part of our evolution as women, as human beings, as a society. And so I don't have like a perfect answer, right? And I don't think any there of us There isn't do. one, yeah. And I think we should be suspicious as we said from the beginning of anybody who comes and says, this is what you have to do, or this is how you have to think. You know, take everything I'm saying as a suggestion if it resonates, wonderful, but um, but don't just shut off that that identity that wants to be born, because how exciting could it be if there's a whole next phase of of a lifetime that we didn't even conceive of or imagine, and what incredible things could happen there if we don't just try to like shut it down or say, I want to be exactly on the trajectory I've always been on and continue professionally or in whatever way exactly on that same thing as I'm expected to and the check marks, right, that we were talking about earlier. Maybe there's something available that could be a whole legacy. This is our legacy time of life. And that is something ancient mystics would say from an astrological standpoint, this is the beginning of the time where we start building our legacy.
Yeah. And in Indigenous cultures, this would be the time when, you know, you've raised your kids and they're off and independent and you now start sharing everything you've learned with the younger people having the little babies and the, you know, it is a time for story sharing and storylines uh, and you know, the culture that we've built around us Western, um, in Western life, I feel has, has just so much potential if it gets humble and and realizes how little we actually know, how little we're actually connected to what really matters. Yeah. Often the way that we become humble is by falling apart. And that's part of what this period I think is about. Um, And by the way, I mean, I think also what's really exciting about this, you know, I just turned 50 this year. So (laughs) thank you. I'm actually, I'm just saying, uh, someone thought I was in my 30s. She's like, I thought you were my age at this coffee shop I go to every day. And I was like, I said, thank you. But I was also like, kind of offended because I'm so proud I'm like, why would you, she's like, right. why didn't you have any kids? I'm like, I have a literal empty nest. Like I have raised three full grownups, like mm. into, you know, the next phase. I'm like a whole 50 year old lady. Like, don't even try to make me like a 36 year old like you. But that was inside. I said, thank you on the outside. But um, I was joking how I'm like a five-year-old. Like I'm so proud of my age. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, um, but we, you know, that's another thing. Like that's an invitation to be proud of our age. I know the whole mold pit that I ended up in um, where I really hit a, a lot of rock bottoms in uh, a few years. Um, like how amazing is getting older? How What an incredible privilege to still be here. Uh, I, I, I wear my age like a badge. I, I've decided like, you know, in all this fakeness, like how can I celebrate what a 48-year-old face looks like, what a 48-year-old woman showing up looks like? Uh, I don't want to try and be someone different. I don't want to try and be younger. How exhausting. That's done. Well, I've made my mission in this next phase to blow up the concept of the basic bitch. Um, because I've always not been that, you know, I've like never, I couldn't be that if I wanted to be, but luckily I didn't want to be. But I think like a lot of people I've discovered, a lot of people are kind of in some perfectionistic mission to become this, you know, same person as a lot of other people trying to be the same people as a lot of other people and, and are and are basically erasing all the things that make them weird and unique and that that extraordinary uniqueness of the same being that we all are. And so, you know, how can we start to make each other feel comfortable? Be that creature that is utterly and magnificently a unique expression of that we're here to embody. I mean, how freaking fun is that to think about it that way you know especially while we're still more able-bodied right and I mean I hope I'll be able-bodied until the very last day but I know you know my energy is very different now than it was 10 years ago which is you know sad and also cool and I definitely don't say yes to a lot of things I'm not 
spreading my energy in 47 different places anymore because I just can't and I don't want to and I'm cranky and like no <laughs> no but and that isn't cool. there an invitation there for yes. energy to be recognized for the precious resource that it is isn't that part of the redefining and the um exploration of a new phase like I am now a very discerning person with my energy that's a good thing. That's not, I don't have as much energy as I used to. Like, I really feel like there's always this opportunity to go, hold on. Did I just say something negative? It's actually really good that I'm choosing more wisely for myself and yeah. for how I want to show up in the world. That's great. I mean, I agree with you. I think, I think there's always, there's always information and messages that are being transmitted through every experience and every sensation that we have and being in conversation with ourselves and being in conversations with each other which i think is absolutely fundamental and necessary and life-saving if i could say that um is is the name of the game. And I mean, I will say as much as I was reluctant to talk about, you know, and write about and teach about psychedelics, I mean, I've seen things like microdosing and quantum dosing be profound for people going through this phase of life where there is no roadmap. There are no rules. There is no one way to do it. It's like, this is the time to kind of let your repatterning and release all your programming that has been uh, self-limiting and so that you can meet this in the truest and most authentic and most courageous way possible. Yeah. I mean, there's there's got to be a place where we end this conversation, isn't there? <laughs> like, <laughs> we literally, we came out like a fast delivery where the ambulance doesn't even get there in time. Like, <laughs> and I'm like, how the hell are we going to wrap this up? But it's so true what you say. And then you look like one of the beauties of being late 40s, early 50s and starting to get life perspective and see junctures where you've actually had hints of this birth, death, dying, rebirth, quite a few times by now. Like I could tell you 16, 24, uh, 40, like these were really pivotal, crack open, everything feels freaky, kind of reinventing myself. Anyone who wants to come along for the ride, go for it. But if not, I totally understand, um, you know, and this just for me, I really feel like we miss a big part of it if we don't recognize this as one of those beautiful new phases. Absolutely. While getting the shits with the symptoms. I will give that disclaimer <laughs> because that can be really freaking hard. Uh, crying tears. <laughs> <laughs> Maya, thank you so much. I mean, awesome to chat as always. Uh, and uh, you covered up that last explosive time of your life very well because I actually had you on the show the first year of the podcast and now find out you were going through something um, really intense. Um, so thank you for leading with openness and uh, courage as you always do, just telling it like it is, 
for you and in the context of what you know, uh, I think that we need lots more health professionals who are brave enough to do the same. So I really appreciate you. Well, Alex, it's always such a pleasure. And this was just medicine for the soul. So thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. I hope you loved today's show as much as I loved bringing it to you. I want to remind you that if you are someone who craves a low-tox community that is judgment-free, full of empowerment, has health professionals and building health professionals that can support you, as well as me in there answering questions multiple times a week, I want to invite you to join the Low-Tox Club. For the price of less than a cup of coffee a month, you have an annual membership for $49 Australian, so it's about $30 US or Euro that allows you to have a member masterclass every single month with a health professional or global expert from the podcast where we have them to ourselves for an hour to ask questions and deep dive further. You have the beautiful supportive chat group. You have Q&As with me, me answering questions. We read books and talk about them and a whole bunch more. You can head to lowtoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and join the club is the very first option on that list. Of course, we have over 10 evergreen courses that you can jump into anytime, whether it's navigating everyday low-tox swaps with our Go Low-Tox signature course, whether you have kids and you're wanting to know how to best support them with our low-tox kids course, whether you're planning a family and looking at a healthy low-tox preconception journey, reducing inflammation, especially the chronic kind with our Inflammation Ninja course, many, many other courses, you can again head to lowtoxlife.com, hit the courses tab and you'll see all of the options, which includes a business course, my low tox method program. Uh, A lot of people don't know, but uh, I was doing a lot before starting Low Tox Life in 2009. And I was a business consultant across hospitality, health, retail, and cosmetics. I have been in business consulting for a very long time. So I absolutely adore helping people move into the low-tox space or develop their low-tox businesses. So that's a way I can support you. And then, of course, there's our wonderful social media communities at Low-Tox Life on Instagram and, of course, the website with over 250 gluten-free recipes, blogs, downloadable PDFs to help you navigate wanting to get rid of synthetic fragrances in your school or office. I could go on. So head to lowtoxlife.com, see what takes your interest or fancy. And thank you so much for being a part of our podcast community. I love, love, love reading your reviews. I appreciate every follow and subscribe. And I want to just remind you to finish off that if there's anything you heard that you found interesting from medical or scientific perspective, it is intended as education only. Please always chat to a health professional who knows you and your situation best. I'll see you next week. Bye.